I think it's incredibly appropriate that this next Queen Deep Dive is white queen as it began because the lyrics literally start so sad, her eyes. And I had a hard day today and I kind of feel like that. (laughs) So this is very appropriate in this moment. Dive number 13 in my Queen Deep Dive. Track number three off of Queen's album, Queen 2, released in 1974. And this is White Queen as it began, yep, written in 1968, way before Queen even existed, back when Brian and Roger were still with Tim Staffel as a part of the band Smile. And yep, we're still in Moody May territory. I use that term with love, of course, because I love Brian's moody, very passionate, emotional compositions. And this is certainly one of those. This is one of my very favorite Brian songs, actually. It's one of my favorite tracks on the album, period, simply because it has this beautiful, haunting, ancient quality to it. We'll get into the details a little bit more. And this is glam folk rock. Very dramatic, very glam indeed, very refined and poised and pleading and emotional and all those lovely things we get from a thoughtful and introspective Brian. This is at about 153 BPM. I hadn't thought it was so fast, but uh, I think that's the, the little magic of the arrangement. We have something that feels very soft and slow, but it's actually got quite a quick tempo. We're in 4-4 time and a few keys here. We're in G major and E minor and also A minor and C major. This is a medieval, mystical, intensely passionate rock ballad. And in my opinion, it's one of Queen's best ballads, actually. One of Brian's most complex compositions. Two different bridges, variant sections, and two solos. It's interesting because it contains single-note finger-picked acoustic guitar parts. Brian did this earlier in Liar and also Great King Rat on the previous album, and he'd rarely do this going forward. There's lots of accidentals, i.e. we get notes that aren't included in the assigned key signature, half measures, archaic touches and arrangements, these angelic choral vocals, descending bass lines, this ancient march-like fanfare towards the end. It all comes together to create a gorgeous track unlike anything else from Queen. Honestly, this track stands out among all of their compositions, not just their ballads, because of its really unique arrangement. The song features Brian playing his Halford acoustic guitar. Interesting note about the Halford acoustic guitar. When I was reading about this song, I found some notes about it that he was playing his, I think it was spelled Highfred acoustic guitar. And I did some digging into this because I remember talking about this guitar before and I thought that's not what I read last time. Turns out, That note might be a misquote from an interview he once gave where he was talking about this guitar. Someone did some very deep research into this particular guitar to find out what it is, where they came from, and exactly what Brian was saying. 
And this person dug and dug and dug and finally got in touch with someone who had an actual Halford guitar and you could see the logo and the label and it does indeed say Halford. The thoughts are that this guitar was made, these guitars were made back in the 20s and 30s, I think it was. Brian has said that that guitar, even at the time, was quite old. So it's interesting that there's this little history behind this guitar and where it came from. But he customized this guitar with a replacement hardwood bridge and he chiseled it flat and added a small piece of fret wire between it and the strings. And this created a buzzing effect like a sitar, which he did on at least a few other tracks, including one of my favorites from the previous album, The Night Comes Down. This song was played 246 times. Woohoo! <laughs> 74 through 78. I'm kind of bummed out, as I was with the previous track, Father to Son, that they didn't touch this song again after the late 70s because I think it would have been a really fun revival number. And this is the reason why. This was a concert favorite, consistently performed at many of their shows, obviously 246 times. It was never a hit. But it went over very well live with an extended solo section and instrumental break. And Freddie played the piano for quite a bit of the song during the solos, giving him a chance to rest both his feet and his voice. The vocals often had a wonderful echo and reverb, Freddie's lead vocals. I think this was just an incredibly nice touch to add on this dreamy quality to this song. Roger's drums are super elaborate in the live performances with different flourishes than the album. You get a little bit more intensity, which is obviously very appropriate for a live setting. And it seems to me that this song was played even slower than the album version, which again, the tempo is quite fast, but the feel of it is very slowly paced. The live performances extend the instrumental breakdowns a little bit. Freddie's piano playing with Brian's guitar is such a beautiful touch, a real treat to hear. And all of the guys, John included, indulge in improvised and revised arrangements live with lots of licks and riffs that we don't hear on the album. It's such a great thing to hear a band, an artist, Anyone who is so well-versed in the material and the instruments they're playing, they're so talented that they can take something and even if they've rehearsed it together, they can trust themselves and each other to go out there and knock it out and completely flavor it up with something different. That is something to be respected. I've heard multiple times, Brian, Roger, I think even Freddie, maybe not John because John never talked much in interviews, but... Almost all of them, and perhaps all of them, talked about how they were criticized for just being a showy band, especially in the later 70s into the 80s when their shows became more and more elaborate. There was this perception from the press sometimes that they were just this showy band and they weren't all that talented. And the thing is, they were incredibly talented. I think that goes without saying. And they rehearsed a lot to dial everything in. You know, it wasn't just totally improvised on the fly. These guys did a lot to work this stuff out ahead of time. That's the only reason they were so good live. It's a little bit of a tangent, but uh, yes, live performance is always great from the guys, great to get different arrangements. And live, this song usually ends on a very prominent major chord. Not heard so much on the album. I guess it's hinted at. There's a little bit of nuance there at the very end that it could be a major chord, but it's not very, very obvious to the ear. 
So this song, very sad, yes, tells the story of the narrator's obsession and unrequited love for an unattainable lady. Brian came up with the idea for this song, White Queen, as it began, while reading The White Goddess by Robert Graves. And he also drew inspiration from a fellow student whom he revered and thought represented the idea of the perfect woman. And he actually spoke about this later in an interview. He said, quote, I remember being totally in love with this girl from biology and I never ever talked to her. I was dared to ask out this girl and she became a lifelong friend. It's very strange end quote. So yeah, there's a little bit of personal influence in there. And I'm, I'm glad we have that because I've read a lot of comments from people about this song that they think it's just an imagined topic. And no, I think Brian is in my research and everything I've read about him and the way I've read him speak about things and heard him speak about things is he is very well his, his work is very well informed by the things he feels and thinks. He's a little bit like me, a lot a bit like me in that way. Again, that's why I love his songs. So I can totally relate to that, Brian. I'm right there with you. Fun facts. Oh, I mentioned this already. Hey, written by Brian during the Smile Days in 68. Yep, several years before Queen existed, before Freddie was even in the Queen picture. And this song, as well as the upcoming track, March of the Black Queen, we'll talk about that later, supposedly influenced Freddie to name the band Queen. Now, this does make sense. I know you're probably going, what the heck? A whole album came out before this this album with this song on it. But remember, Brian wrote this song in 68, and Freddie undoubtedly heard it at some point well before this album was done. And I'm sure that the March of the Black Queen was the same way. So there you go. This song, as we break it down, it begins with sad strings. At least they sound like strings, but they're not. It's all guitar, all beautiful, gently manipulated guitar. Those warm chords that fall down the scale, a beautiful acoustic, absolutely stunning, the arrangement here. Freddie's aching, longing, yearning vocals. This is one of my favorites to sing and hum, actually. I love to warm up to this because it's got such a great, soulful delivery. As it began. It's just, it's very straight. There's not a whole lot of flowery arrangement going on with the vocals. You know, Freddie's delivery here is so tender. There's these flourishes of mysterious symbols that gently fade in and out. Fabulous symbol work from Raj. It always amazes me that this guy can sit back and pound out the loudest (laughs) sounding, you know, toms and snares and everything. And then you get this delicacy. I mean, what, man, variations in sounds and the versatility is so impressive. There's a gong that makes a very quiet appearance. And then a key change, this subtle ambience of bass and drums. There's a shift from E minor to E major in the chorus here. This is called the Picardy Third and has been in use since the 16th century, actually. And the band sadly never used this gambit again. Such a shame because I love the tonality of it. That's what gives this song a little bit of that ancient medieval quality. The first verse... Such a delicate delivery and that sentiment, that accidental note at the end of the phrase, 
This reminds me of Radiohead. Actually, when I hear this song, it reminds me of things like How to Disappear Completely. It's got that kind of tonality. And I'm not surprised that Queen is one of the bands that Radiohead has mentioned in the past that has been an influence. And this is very surprising and mysterious in this song to hear that nice little shift in that note. The ahs come in and they rise and impress and surround and warm and enthrall. Suddenly, drums in triplet notes, electric guitar, the bass, a louder and pleading Freddie. He literally says that word, pleading, all in unison. Then a falling back into the softer acoustic arrangement. There's this beautiful ebb and flow here where things burst forward a little bit and then it's like pulling back on the reins and it's so sensitively done. (laughs) Every drum, bass note, all so perfectly placed around the vocals. A change in the second part of the second verse, a nice variation and shift in tone. It's a touch more hopeful and bright, but still delicate, desperate, and that despair. I love this mood so much. Sometimes I just want to sit back and listen to kind of a sad song. And this is one of those songs that you can enjoy in that mood. And as the solo begins, there's Brian on his Halford guitar with just a touch of that sitar sound. This is beautifully arranged, just like this lovely Spanish-flavored feature in some of those licks. It's gorgeous. The backing chords and the vocals surround the speakers again. This time, a little bit more distant, more haunting, more reverb echoes, and always so, so lovely and well done. Another appearance from that beautiful gong sweeps through the rising acoustic and then blasting drums, electric and bass, that drum roll that takes us through and then the appearance of the marching of those ancient, dramatic and mysterious guitar chords. It comes into this resolution, into this sweeping climax with the layered harmonies all around, Freddie shining in his vocal brilliance here. Nice contrast against the softness of the opening and the introduction. Then we fall into distant, fruitless hopes and dreams. Same tone as the introduction. So sad it ends as it began. A simple and thoughtful resolution. Very appropriately used lyrics as well. Such a beautiful song. And such a treat to go through it today, actually. I appreciate this because, again, whenever I'm kind of down in a little bit of a mood, this song is one of those that takes me into a dream. And it's therapeutic. It's cathartic. I can't explain it, but it's always nice to have something like this to run to when you need something that understands you that's in a song. Anybody else ever feel that way where sometimes you just want to listen to something that can be there for you, even if it's just a song? Music is power. Music is powerful. And I run to it a lot for good and bad moments. And this is a great song, really, all the time. I'm not saying I listen to this only when I'm bummed, but man, it's just, it's, it's gorgeous all around. So go check out White Queen as it began. Check out some of the live performances. I mean, there's like 250 of them. You got no excuse. You'll find some. They're beautiful. In fact, I just listened to the 1976 Boston performance earlier today as well. And I got a feel for that extended instrumental breakdown. And that piano is really such a treat because you don't get it on the album, but it's in full display live.
So enjoy it. White Queen, as it began. Some lovely historical roots of this song going back years prior. And a great song all around as we continue going through Queen 2. I'll be back again with the next Brian May composition because, as I mentioned before, almost every song on the white side of Queen 2 is Brian's. And I'll be back next time. In the meantime, of course, you guys know it. Keep yourselves alive. Have a great day. If you had a rough day like I did, go out and do something good for yourself. Eat something that's way too bad for you, but tastes oh so good. Just find something to enjoy. I'll talk to you guys later. Until then.